Today is certainly special. It's significant. It, it matters. Your presence today says it matters. With the exception of just a handful of empty seats, the house is full, and I want to welcome those of you who weren't able to find a seat and you're in our overflow room. Thank you for not leaving our campus. You are as much a part of this service as any person in this room, and for those of you who are online. You know, one of the things that happens as we come to the end of a year when we celebrate both Christmas and then the next time we as a family of God gather in this room, it'll be New Year's Eve, the last day of 2023. The older I get, the faster time flies, and I recognize that won't change until my life ends here on earth. But one of the things that I also find the older I get is that the more I not only look forward to the new year, I reflect on 2023. I have a playlist on my iTunes account that I play and I, when I drive to church on Sunday mornings really, really early, gets my heart ready. And by the way, I sound incredible in my truck by myself. I, I do, I do. But, but as I was worshiping this morning, I was singing this song in anticipation that I knew this song would be in our set today. And I don't know about you, but I, I can list a handful of things that were hard for me this year. And my life's no different than yours. I know of people in the room this morning who there's an empty seat at the table this Christmas. You buried a loved one. I received word just a few days ago, a, a, a member of our church asked me for prayer because he just lost his job at the end of the year. I know for a fact that we have people in our church who are fighting things like cancer. I know that some of you deal with all kinds of struggles that may or may not appear on the surface, but deep down, depression and anxiety. Still others of you may have a relationship that's broken or strained right now, and, and there's a point of pain during the holiday season. And those things are real, and I don't have any desire to spend our time this morning dwelling on them. In some ways, coming to the house of the Lord can be a, a temporary escape to be reminded of something else that I know to be true, which is this. Sure, I can list six or eight things that were hard this year, but if you ask me to look into my own life, and I ask you to look into your own life, at the faithfulness of God I don't have enough time to make that list. He's just been so good to us. And when I review my life and I review your life and I see the life of our church and I think about the significance of today and what we celebrate, if I were to try to condense all of those blessings into a, a summary statement, it would be next to impossible for a guy who loves words. But it comes out Jesus, I love you. I love you. And when we think about Christmas and what tomorrow represents, there are a lot of meanings to Christmas. In fact, way back in 1965, Charlie Brown couldn't find the meaning of Christmas. And then Linus took the stage and the spotlight hit him. And he read what the scriptures say happened the night the shepherds were given the news that in the town of Bethlehem, the city of David, a Savior is born to you who is Christ the Lord. And Charlie Brown's finally reminded that is the meaning of Christmas. Some of you are friends and loved ones. You're from out of town. Others of you are a part of our community, but you might not be a part of our church. 
We've been walking through the book of Colossians, building toward today. And the reason we've been in a power-packed paragraph of the book of Colossians, verses 15 through 20 of chapter 1, is because the Apostle Paul, writing to a church that had lost its focus on the greatness and the sufficiency of Christ, wrote these words, and I'd like to read them to you. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And for the church, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And here comes our verse this morning. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Most of you are headed somewhere today. You're going to eat lunch or supper or both. I'm a gifted eater. It's part of what we do. But Laurel and I, for the 20th year in a row, will do what we've always done. We will leave this service and we will pack our family up and the young man who comes and stays in our house to feed our too many dogs and hang out at our house will come and we will leave. We will leave in what looks like a Christmas chaotic argument. And we will ride silently. And about halfway to our home in Alabama, where we're from, we will stop to get coffee and our hearts will begin to warm up again. And then when we get to my in-law's home, she will have chocolate. And all things will be made right. And the spirit of the living God will come upon our marriage again and we will hold one another. You don't often think about the idea of reconciliation with Christmas, but you should. In fact, the English definition for the word reconcile is simply this, to restore to friendship or harmony. The Bible is not 66 divided books that were different people's opinion about life. It's one story inspired by one God and one hero who is Christ the Lord. Now, it's told across hundreds of years from many different perspectives through the lens of language and the different forms of writing. But there is one redemptive story from start to finish, and the beginning of the story is perfect peace and harmony that is corrupted by the third chapter of Genesis. And the rest of the story is God bringing reconciliation. And the entire Old Testament is building toward one who would come to reconcile. In fact, we all know that reconciliation is a hard thing, yet a sweet thing. And it's interesting that it is the key verb inside of verse 20. In fact, let me read verse 20 again and I'll show you. And through him, so God says, Paul says, this is what God is doing through him, and the him there is Christ. And through him to reconcile. What is he reconciled? To himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. When we see Christmas as God entering into our world to bring reconciliation, this verse shows us how that works. First, we're reconciled through him. I did not drive to campus this morning. I don't stand before you today to deliver to you the tenets of a ritual, a religion, a cultural pattern. The truth is, like any other faith, our faith does have rituals. The world outside of our faith would say this is a religion. And more specifically, it is the religion of Christianity. I understand those categorizations. But the story of the Bible is that God delivered to us not a religion, but a baby. A person. A person. Not a well-polished document. Not first and foremost a Bible. A person. And we are reconciled to God, not through religious tenets, not through the practices of a faith, not through righteous obedience of our own, but through him. In other words, my only way to be right with God is through his son. But the only way I could know his son is for his son to come to me, for surely I could not get to him. Now, the interesting thing is, I'm not only reconciled through him, When you come into a right relationship with God and Christmas takes on a whole new level of significance, I'm reconciled to him. My life is filled with incredible people. You are the sum total of all the people that God has put in your life. When I look at you as a congregation and I reflect on the faithfulness of God, I think about the reality of who you are, brothers and sisters in the faith. That means that over half of you are sisters in the faith. And I think about the blessings of my life from all of the wonderful women that have come into my path. The woman who brought me into this world, the women who helped her alongside her raise me, the women who taught me the Bible when I was a young boy in Sunday school, the women who have cared for me, the women who have cooked for me, the women who have nourished me, the women who taught me, the women who encouraged me, the women who have led me in various organizations and in situations, the women who have given me medical care. In fact, many men in this room would not be where you are today. Heck, you wouldn't even got dressed this morning were it not for a woman. But there's one woman that's been given to me. She's the one I share my life with. Same with children. Can't think about Christmas without children. Children are synonymous with Christmas. In fact, the joy of being an adult is living Christmas through your children. We get as much excitement out of it as we did when we were children, watching them tear into all that God has blessed you to give them. And we recognize that you can't celebrate the joy of Christmas without seeing it in the laughter and the smiling of a child. And therefore, all children are valuable to us. But then there's my children and your children. And to be honest with you, with no sin in our hearts, you feel differently about your children and your grandchildren. In fact, grandparents, you're ruining it for all of us. We, we think we're generous to our children and then our grandparents blow us away and we wonder, who are these benevolent, kind people who have emerged in their 60s and 70s because they're not the mean old people in their 30s and 40s that were raising me? What has happened here? Yet as much as I value and enjoy all children, they're my children And my children, given to me, have a level of significance and love that is beyond my ability to articulate. Now watch this. Paul says 
that when Christ came into this world, he reconciled us, not generally. He didn't just save us from hopelessness. He didn't just save us from a Christless eternity. He saved us to himself. This is the great misconception of the gospel. In fact, today is probably one of those days across our great country where people will attend services in Christian churches and yet never really fully understand the gospel. I know that many of you do, and I rejoice in sharing with you God's word on a weekly basis. But I want to speak to the one in this room who does not, and I want to tell you that the gospel is not you believing that Jesus came, lived, and died. The gospel is not you believing that Jesus rules and reigns from heaven and will return one day. The gospel is you believing all those things and then looking at the condition of your own heart and handing yourself to him in faith. It is trusting and repenting and coming to him and saying, left on my own, I am bankrupt. But by your grace, I submit my life to you. In fact, the scripture tells us that Jesus knew there would be many people confused about this. And on the day of judgment, he would say, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about people who knew about Christ and Christianity and the manger and the shepherds and the wise men, but never turned their life over to him God did not deliver to you a religion. He sent you a baby who would become a man, who would live a perfect sinless life that you and I are incapable of living, and then die the death that we deserved, that we might have forgiveness of sin and receive unto us his righteousness which then opens the door for God to invite us into his presence because we have now been reconciled. We're not only reconciled through him and to him, finally, we're reconciled by him. He did something. In fact, verse 20 ends, where are we in? This is what he says. He says in verse 20 these words, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How did he make peace? Look at the preposition. By the blood of his cross. Every year there are wars. And Jesus said until he returns, there will be wars and rumors of wars. The two that are on my prayer list right now or the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians in Gaza. One of the things that the headlines have taught us is that there is great debate over how to minister to people in need. And one of the discussions of the day, regardless of someone's political leanings, is a ceasefire, a pause in conflict. And this is how this works in worldly terms. The idea is, the absence of bloodshed is the presence of peace. So if the conflict pauses and there is no bloodshed, then there can be peace. If there is no peace, it is signified by the fact that there becomes again bloodshed. But according to the gospel, our sin is so great that peace could only come through bloodshed. 
Now, some people struggle with this and they say, well, is our God some wicked, evil tyrant that he would want the shedding of blood? The scripture clearly teaches without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Why? Because the wages of sin are death. So the only way to pay the penalty of sin is for someone to lay their life down. And the most significant way to know whether or not life is lost is the spilling of blood. In fact, throughout the scripture, whenever you hear about the blood of the cross or the blood of Jesus, you're talking about him laying his life down in your place. So let's work backwards, if you will. If we believe, if the gospel is that, that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and therefore was the perfect lamb who was sufficient to die for the sins of the world and salvation is through him and him alone and that power is available to every Christian, for him to be on the cross sinless, he must live sinless. For him to live a sinless life as a human being, he must have come to this earth to be both God and man. For him to be both God and man on this earth, he must have entered this earth the way you and I entered this earth. You want to know what you have in common with Jesus? Every person in this room entered this world through a womb. And unless the Lord returns, every person in this world will leave through a tomb. Jesus entered through a womb, and Jesus left through a tomb. But his tomb could not hold him. And therefore, when you look at a manger, you cannot look at it without seeing the shadow of Calvary. Those 10 little fingers and 10 little toes were filled with blood that was not like yours and mine. Yet he was a man in every way. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. This is why the writer of Hebrews says these words, and this is where I'll leave you. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of his eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, it's all right there. The great king of heaven became a baby who became a man, who became a sacrifice, who overcame the tomb. We might have now, if you just leave it there in antiquity, you miss the second part. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Why? Look at verse 21. Equip you with everything good. Now, you got two people in your life, and you'll find out tomorrow. There are people who are easy to buy. These are the selfish people that send you a link to their Amazon list. Guilty. Then you have people, you don't know what to buy. You don't have any idea. People come in and Pastor, what size do you wear? I'll tell you, cash. Always fits, baby. I'll tell you who's hard to buy for. What could you give the Lord? The only thing he's asked for. And therefore, in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, let us offer yourself, your body as a living sacrifice. You know what the Lord wants from you? He wants you to live your life for him 
You cannot do that without the power of his blood over you and his spirit in you. Now, some of you are headed to eat today. But the most important meal of Christmas is the moment the church pauses and reminds ourselves that there is no manger that can be viewed without seeing the shadow of a cross in its background. He did not come just to bless us. He didn't come just to be an example. He did not come just that we might feel the warm sentimentalism of his affection. He came to do what we could not do, that we might have life. As we come to the time to take communion, the scripture very clearly teaches us that we ought not do it flippantly. And I would just say that even as you prepare, if there's anything in your life that you need to deal with between you and the Lord, I would be doing you a disservice as a shepherd if I didn't ask you to come before him. I've already proven to you from his word, he came to reconcile you to himself. You are not a face in the crowd. You're not a number in an auditorium. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. He knows every thought, every deed. He loves you anyway. But he does not love any area of our life that does not align itself with him. And yet when we come to him and when we confess our struggles, our fears, our anxiousness, we confess our desires that fly in the face of his word, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to give us the strength to walk in the newness of life that he's promised. He will not be toyed with. You absolutely can attend a service. You can take communion and you can light a candle and mean none of it. But if you'll be serious with him, I promise you, this Christmas season, you, you can experience the power of his blood in your life. He wants has and will reconcile you to himself. On the evening that Jesus was arrested, the apostle Luke says these words in the book of Luke. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, the cup is poured out for you is the new covenant. Notice what he says in my blood. Jesus never stopped expressing what it cost him to give us new life. Yet, as we come today, we never stop expressing our gratitude for what that means. And the first step of gratitude is simply remembering. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your table, we recognize the significance of the ceremony is in the symbolism of your body and your blood. Lord, there is not a person in this room that you did not die for. There's not a soul in this room that you don't love and care for. There is no struggle, no sorrow, no sin. So deep, so dark, that it would separate us from your love in Christ upon our repentance and faith. Your love is not unconditional. 
as the world often says, you simply require our surrender. And upon our faith and repentance, you bestow upon us a grace that washes our sin away like an ocean wave over a candle. My prayer this morning is that every believer in this room would be reminded of what it cost you to give them eternal life. It started with a baby who was sent for us. Now bless your table as you have promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen. On the evening of the Passover, he took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave thanks, and he said, This is my body given for you as often as you eat it. Do so in remembrance of me. The Scripture says, After supper he took the cup, and when he had blessed it, he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Express your love for him this morning. In 1968, the nation was on fire. 55 years ago today, that year, the United States had seen the assassination of Robert Kennedy, of Dr. Martin Luther King. They had seen the great Olympic protests. It seen conflict, of course, still raging in Vietnam. Campuses were erupting in protest, and the nation was polarized. Does that sound familiar? And yet something happened as the age of TV had come upon the United States of America. The most televised event in history happened on Christmas Eve in 1968. Up to that point, nobody had watched one event more than this event was being viewed worldwide. Three astronauts were in orbit around the Earth in a mission called Apollo 8. And they televised from their cockpit a Christmas Eve greeting to the world. Jim Lovell Jr., the lead astronaut, could have said a lot of things, but I want you to listen to this broadcast from 55 years ago today. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people, Back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 
The entire world heard this United States astronaut read from the book of Genesis. And God said, let there be light. God's son would later say these words on the screen. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He would later say, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Go today and exchange gifts. Go enjoy delicious food. Go greet loved ones and see people perhaps that you don't see but once a year. Enjoy the tearing open of gifts and the joy of helping a child with a new toy. Enjoy everything about it, but below it and above it, make sure that the people in your life see that if you know the king, there is a light burning in you that is greater than any commercialization of any holiday, greater than any heartbroken person can ever imagine overcoming their own struggle, greater than any conflict or any war, greater than any fear, any anxiety, any source of struggle in your own heart. There is someone who is greater he is the light of the world. That is the meaning of Christmas. Let's sing this together. Silent night, holy night, all is
from our entire church family, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. You are loved here. If you'd like to pray with someone, our prayer room is open. If you're headed out today, may God bless you and may he bless your family. As you exit, please give your candles back to our connection team. Take your Lord's Supper cup with you. God bless you. You are dismissed.